All right, back in the Young Turks uh, tonight on the post game. That's the last half hour of the show. Uh, we're gonna have Kyle Kalinske on in studio, uh, and we're gonna continue to make fun of Dave Rubin and Tucker Carlson. We got more clips on that atrocious appearance uh, from last night, and uh, we're also uh, going to show you a fun remix of my interview with Nina Turner from the last spin room in the last debate. Uh, Tyt.com/slash/join to become a member. If you're watching on YouTube, you can become. Um, Young Turks member on YouTube, which is slightly different, but it, you definitely get the post game uh, as well at the 499 level and higher. So you could go to tyt.com/slash/join, or if you're on YouTube, there's a little blue button that says "Join" below the video. You can click on that and uh, see the level that you like. Okay, now I have some fascinating interviews for you guys. Uh, joining me now is Anafi Wahed. She's the founder of Flipside, and um, and. They are trying to appeal to both sides in in getting news. Uh, I'm not sure I agree, and we're gonna have an interesting conversation. Nafi also was a former field organizer for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Welcome to the Young Turks, Nafi. Appreciate you joining us. Hi, Jake. Uh, really great to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so, first of all, tell us what the flip side does, and then let's see if we'd come to agreement on on some of the issues dividing the country. So the flip side is on a doomed mission, some days it feels like, to depolarize America. So as I'm sure you know better than most, there's a never ending news cycle, right? We have cable TV, we have Twitter, we have a million blogs, YouTube channels, and people are simply overwhelmed. So what we at the flip side do is that we are a bipartisan team of news junkies. We are reading 20, 30 op-eds a day, so you don't have to. So we are fact-checking, we are making sure that the op-eds we cite is you know, rooted in reality, logic. And we only cover one topic a day. And in a five-minute newsletter delivered to your inbox, 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, you get the highlights of what each side is saying. We're really working to bring together thoughtful perspectives on the day's issues to our readers. Well, to the point of your thesis, uh, it's hard for me to come up with what I would consider a thoughtful opinion on the right wing side. So it goes through your thesis because you say the country is divided and we don't understand each other anymore. Not just don't agree, but just we're in totally different camps. But we are though, I think the right wing basically are lunatics. So I don't wanna read it. I mean, look, you tell me, make a case for you you found honest conservatives with real opinions. What name so? Yes. So so my co-founder is a staunch conservative and one of the most brilliant, smartest people I've ever met. And there are thoughtful commentaries out there written by conservatives who are you know sometimes alarmed by Trump's actions, sometimes in support of Trump's actions. What we're really focused on is exactly the problem you're highlighting. Right? We have so many voices on cable news that are really inflaming us, not informing us. And we really try to find the op-eds that are giving people reasons behind why they think X, Y, Z, why they, why they think a policy is good or bad. So, you know, we're looking at the editorial board at the Wall Street Journal or the National Review. Um, and on the left, you know, we're citing both progressives and moderate Democrats. And so we're really trying to highlight to people, hey, here's what the other side thinks. Look. There are a lot of problems facing our country, but 
call me an optimist, but I refuse to believe that 63 million people of my fellow countrymen are just racists who have been brainwashed by Trump. There are a million reasons why people voted for Trump and a million reasons why people voted for Hillary. And I think especially with the news cycle moving so quickly, the average person just feels overwhelmed with all of the partisan bickering. And while we do obviously have the two sides and it almost seems like we're helping that, we actually are trying to find the thoughtful perspectives. Uh, and the yeah. thoughtful conversations that are being had. So, uh, Anafi, I don't want you to get me wrong. I think you're on a noble mission. Uh, I just, thank you. Yes, uh, I'm not positive it's possible. So, uh, that, that's that's my honest opinion. That's why we're having this conversation. So, so look, yeah, look. When you say uh, mm-hmm. all those Trump voters are are not racist, I agree. Only half of them are. Um, but half of them definitely are. If you say that there are so Trump with numbers, I think there are racists who voted for Trump, but I don't think we can just you know give up on a quarter of the country. That's essentially what you're saying, right? No. That's a very high percentage of our fellow countrymen that you're just writing off right now. Yeah, I, I am, but I'm going to come back for them. So let me. So it's a great point that you're bringing up. So let me tell you what my plan is. Um, my plan is not to call things 50-50. I don't really don't mean to be insulting. I actually think that what you're doing, I'm not kidding when I say it's a noble mission. And when you so say- So we're not making a platform to the you know false news and the deliberately misleading information, right? No. So for example, yesterday when Vindman was being accused of having dual loyalties, you won't see that type of rhetoric in the flip side newsletter. We are genuinely trying to find the thoughtful perspectives, the people who are committed to the rule of law, to facts, to logic. So, and I think when you say you know you don't see that on the right, perhaps that's because you're only looking at let's say you know some of the extreme voices, just as people on the right are only looking at some of the extreme voices on the left. So, so I really think it's really important for us. You know, more so now uh, than ever to listen to the other side, at minimum, because we have an election mm, coming yeah. up. And in order for us to convince the other side to vote for our candidates, we're going to need to know what they're thinking and what they're reading. Yeah. How's- Look, so you guys are running things from uh, National Review and Wall Street Journal, etc. So I get it. Those are the more legitimate right wing outlets. And, and mm-hmm. I appreciate what you said about. Uh, Winman and how you're not running stuff that is, you know, smears against them, etc. You guys are doing hard work of finding legitimate right wing voices, and I appreciate that. And that's part of why we have you on, obviously. And I want people to know about you, and I want people to know that that's a possibility. But if you think that it's the right wing in this country are split between reasonable folks and non reasonable uh, folks, uh, even even if you think it's evenly split, like 50% of Republicans are in the Trump camp, deranged, etc., and 50% are reasonable, that's not remotely true. 90% of Republicans support Donald Trump, and they've supported him through all of his madness, all of his atrocious behavior, and yes, all through all of his racism. So, Anafi, let me tell you my plan, and then you tell me what you think of it. My plan is to utterly defeat them, to crush them, and politically send them into oblivion. Uh, and then after that, reach out to them uh, and do healing because we're actually not opposed to them or their interest in the real world. Uh, we want to give them health care, we want to give them higher wages, and all of that. So, uh, and, and at that point, we could have real healing in the country, but we're not going to have healing with deplorables 
and and people uh, that don't even believe in logic, reason, or facts. Okay, guys, we lost her for a second. So hold, I know it's an interesting conversation and an awkward place to, to have lost her, but let's have her back on. Hey, there you go, Anafi. No, it's okay, it happens sometimes, technical issues. I don't know how much of what I said you heard, but uh, let me just as quickly as I can repeat it and get your thoughts on it. So look, my, my plan is to uh, defeat the Republicans um, and not to reach out to them. And after they are thoroughly defeated and humiliated, uh, then to give them health care and college for their kids and higher wages and actually do reconciliation in this country. So I spent four months knocking on doors for Hillary Clinton in 2016 without a political background. I, I gave up my corporate cushy job to go knock on doors in rural New Hampshire because I really believed uh, that that's my goal. But now I realize that we can't live in a country where the pendulum swings so far. And I just remember feeling so awful the day after Hillary Clinton uh, lost that election and thinking, you know, the world is going to end. I, I really did believe that. And I want to be in a country where we have two sides that can lose gracefully, that can win gracefully. And I don't think this, you know, end all be all, we're at war mentality is, is a good for a healthy democracy. No, I don't agree, Anafi. And I'll tell you why. I think that the Republicans are in a constant state of warfare. So when Democrats are talking about losing nobly, all they ever do is lose. That's why Hillary Clinton lost. That's why Ossoff lost. That's why they all lose. That's why the Democrats lost a thousand seats. I'm not gonna play that game. We're gonna crush them. We're gonna crush them. We're gonna crush them. When we lose the election in, let's say, uh, you know, 2032 or 2036, right? We can't always be in power, and so we have to live in a democracy where we are listening to each other and actually trying to persuade the other side. Because our I persuade the other side all the time. And pendulum swing. But Anafi, I persuade the other side all the time. We've flipped thousands of conservatives into. Progressives, you know how I do it. I do it with facts, and I do it unapologetically. I don't say the Republicans might have a point. The Republican Party is deeply, one hundred percent corrupt. For, we're not apologizing for any views that that we find abhorrent. Again, we're not giving a platform to people who say racist things or make xenophobic comments or you know are are saying all poor people should die from lack of health care, right? But we're genuinely trying to find the voices that are saying, okay. Let's talk about this policy. Let's talk about the rule of law. Um, and I think if you, again, write off half the country or a quarter of the country, as you seem to think is the strategy, then how can we claim to live in a democracy? Yeah, no, I'm gonna come back for them, man. I'm not kidding. I'm gonna, we're gonna give them health care. We're gonna raise their wages. We're gonna deliver for them better than the Republican Party has ever, ever delivered for them. We're gonna actually improve their lives, but I'm gonna do it after I defeat them. I'm not gonna lose some monsters like Donald Trump. I'm not gonna do unilateral disarmament. You'd be nuts to do that. So look here, Anafi, let me challenge you on, on something. The Republican Party is filled to the rim with liars. And they're, they all take corporate money. They all, no, 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 I'm not talking about the voters in this case. I'm talking about the politicians. Can you name me one honest Republican politician in the country, go. John McCain, Mitt yeah. Romney, <laughs> Chuck Grassley. <laughs> Mitt Romney, corporations uh, are, are people, my friend. John McCain, there isn't a war I don't, I haven't fallen in love with. Why? John McCain took corporate money, uh, defense contractor money to start all those wars. Money. I, I think the corporate money 
conversation is a different conversation. Because no, it's part and parcel of why they lie. I don't think all Republicans are lying, and and certainly not. So, well, again, so let me ask this: Let's say Elizabeth Warren wins in 2020, and she puts in place a lot of executive orders that you know uh, allow our policy preferences to prevail for four years or even eight years. Then a Republican comes into power and un, uh, you know undoes all of the hard work that she did. We can't live in a country where we are basically you know electing one authoritarian after the other. We have to no, get that. but but wait, you see, you just did it there, Nafi. I really. I, I like your mission and I want people to read it. I want because I don't want them to just trust me. I want them to look at conservative sites too. I get it. And that's why I think what you're doing is interesting. But Warren and Trump are not the same thing. Don't do that sentence where you say we swing from one authoritarian to another. That's nuts. What I'm saying is that if we have one half of the country that does think that they each are a threat to our democracy, what the only way that we can govern right now is via executive orders. We don't no, have a no, 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 we, be, no. No, here I have I have an alternative theory, okay. and it's very easy. We already have the House. We win the Senate. All it takes is three seats. We win the presidency. We end the filibuster. We pass okay, every goddamn time thing time we want, and we steamroll the Republicans. That What's that? What happens? For a short time, we may even get that honeymoon that you're talking about. And then what? I don't. Think I'll tell you that. And then I'll. Then we pass an amendment to get money out of politics. And then those corporate people, both on the Republican and Democratic side, are screwed. Yeah. Then they don't have any money. They can't go crying to daddy, corporate daddy, and say, "Oh, please let me lie on your behalf, bribe me." Uh, we get the money out of politics, and then we'll get our democracy back. And then we'll have real Republicans and Democrats having actual honest debates. That's my. Mission. I am all for getting money out of, out of politics as well, but I think the conversations need to start happening now. At the very least, studies show that people are going to Thanksgiving dinners and cutting them short because they can't even literally have a conversation with people. Of on the course other not, side because the other side's lunatics. What am I supposed to have a conversation about how windmills cause I mean, cancer? That's, that's a very ludicrous way of looking at half our nation. No, it's not. Hey. Are you tell, look? Donald Trump believes that windmills cause cancer because of the noise that they create. Donald Trump Again, believes all of these things that, that are. He believes that the Kurds betrayed us by not showing up at Normandy. So if someone tells me that they believe that those are great ideas, he believes we should have executed the Central Park Five and that they must have done something anyway. If they, you believe those things, I'm not going to have a conversation with you because we're not even speaking the same language. Most Republicans agree that Donald Trump does not always tell the truth or oh, are they not and merciful. And they actually take a lot of issue with the way he is acting in the White House. And if, if you actually did listen to those thoughtful voices, you would know that. I think you know you They don't take any issue with it. Ninety percent of the Republican right. Party supports Donald Trump. They don't have any issues with it. They love his madness. You, they love his lies. Who did you vote for in twenty sixteen if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind at all. In the primaries, in the primary, I voted for Bernie Sanders. In the general election, I voted for Hillary Clinton. Did you support every single thing Hillary Clinton did? Not remotely. And said yes. No. So then, how can you say that by somebody saying they support Donald Trump, they support every single one of his actions? Because if you ask me, hey, do you support Hillary Clinton on trade deals on on the dozens of things I disagreed with her? I would have told pollsters, no, I don't support her on that. But the fascists on the other side go, yes, I support dear orange leader. I support him with everything. They say that all the time. Look at the polls. I'm not making it up. Look at the polls. 
and what we are trying to do is actually to talk to both, you know, Democrats and Republicans to say, maybe here's why they are supporting this policy or that policy. And again, I go back to saying that the Republican Party is quite diverse. You know, you've got your never Trumpers, you've got your sometimes Trumpers, you've got, you do have your pro Trumpers, right? But we are trying to bring together the thoughtful voices in each of those camps who are defending their reasons. Um, just as Democrats are out there saying, oh, this is the, these are the policies we're fighting for. But the only way we're going to be able to convince the two sides to at least maintain decorum, to work together. I mean, we have such gridlock in Congress because exactly those polling numbers, right? People are not listening to each other. And we are just working to make sure that people at least have the tools to start that conversation. So they can say, okay, I, I know you think X and I know you think Y. Um, and here's what I believe and here's why, right? Uh, yeah. Right now it's just screaming heads talking about uh, one side being evil and the other being no. evil for me or else the world is going to end. And, and I don't think that's sustainable in a healthy democracy. Okay, we're so out of time. I'm desperate to respond to that though. Uh, no, you have the Republicans screaming their heads off. You have the Democrats whispering in a little I corner. Plenty of screaming on the Demo Democrats. Yeah, they, well. I do it and the just Democrats do it and that's it. Uh, the rest of the Democrats are pudding soft. They, they let those Republicans run all over them. Well, That's the actual problem. If Republicans are indeed that bad, if, if as you say, the Republicans are that bad, should we stoop to their level? Should we not <laughs> take the moral high ground and say- <laughs> ah, we Moral high ground, moral high ground. The other side. I can't, you, enough, you're getting me worked up. <laughs> okay, listen, uh, moral <laughs> high ground uh, in politics is if for losers. Say, again, okay. the Republican Party has lost their way, we should show them the way, right? Uh, we'll show them the way by defeating them so thoroughly that they end their party and apologize that's to us. Okay, that's not going to get our country back. It's not temporary. I will destroy the Democrat. I will destroy the Republican Party completely. Completely, we will destroy them completely. So it will be permanent. So don't worry about it. Okay, but look, guys. Despite all that, I'm not kidding. What Anafi's trying to do is a wonderful thing. She's trying to bring thoughtful people from two sides. I, look, obviously, I'm not in the mood for it, but a lot of people are. And if you are, that's the that's the place you should go, and you should read both sides. And and hey, maybe one side convinces you, or the, or the other does. But please check out the flip side, uh, flip, the flipside.io. I wish we lived in the world that you think we live in, Anafi, <laughs> and I'm and I'm rooting for you. Reality, how's that? I am idealistic and hoping my idealism will be contagious. All right, thank you, thank you for joining us. Thank I appreciate you so much. it. Thanks for having me. Okay, no problem. All right, when we come back, uh, America's lawyer Mike Papantonio. All right, back in the Young Turks. Uh, Mike uh, Papantonio is a busy lawyer and. Uh, it's actually fighting the opioid companies right now, doing yeoman's work in doing that. So he had to run because that last interview ran a little long. But good news, how's this for a surprise guest? Joining me now, Kyle Driver Kalinsky. <laughs> How you doing, Kyle? I'm good, man. How are okay. you? What do you think, is Kyle Driver catching on? Yeah, it actually has. And yeah. I could thank you for popularizing that. But I've seen that many times in YouTube comment sections. and. Yeah. I enjoy it, it's good. Yeah, you know why, because it's badass. <laughs> I come up with badass <laughs> nicknames. Um, okay, so you were just at Politicon, yes. uh, you debated Charlie Kirk. I did. Uh, did you kick his ass? I think I did, yes, I yeah. would say I did. Um, it's been interesting to read the reaction online because 
The people who had their mind made up going into it, if they lean right and they were looking for reasons to say that Charlie Kirk won, the one thing that they hang their hat on is, well, he definitely spoke for the majority of the time. And I concede that he 100% spoke for the majority of the time, uh -huh. but that didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter uh -huh. because he would go all over the place. He was meandering. He was making points that made no sense. And what I would do is I'd let him go on for about three minutes until I couldn't take it anymore and I was about to fall asleep. And then I would interject and hit him with a one-liner, maybe two lines, and then the room would explode and it would slap him down. And then he'd have to start from square one and try to go back all over terrible arguments again. So, and by the way, I was not saying anything bad about him as a person because offstage he was actually very nice. And I get the sense that, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one level, he's a normal dude and he's, you know, easy to get along with. But, yeah, it was, um, it was basically like he was pretending like we were running for president and he was like robotic Mitt Romney and I was dropping elbows from the sky. <laughs> or Kyle driving. There you go. That's a better uh, one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just last thing on this. Uh, did he, in fact, live like a capitalist that day? Because I hear he does it every day. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, I think we'll have some moments that might rival that viral moment. There were a few moments in the debate that were, uh, like there was one moment where he asked me in a very like condescending and snarky way, like, what do you think, the president should divest from all of his assets? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like he's got a hotel in DC, the Saudis are funneling him hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then he's giving them multi-billion dollar weapons deals. Of course, Jimmy Carter had to sell his peanut farm. Mm -hmm. And there weren't even accusations of wrongdoing with Jimmy Carter. It yeah. was just, oh, that could present a problem, so you gotta sell your peanut farm. But Trump can keep all of his hotels, which are yeah. all over the place, and all of his assets, and get corrupted by foreign governments. And also, by the way, he's using his hotel in Scotland, where he's funneling US taxpayer money there. Yeah. Did you hear that story? Okay. Yes, of course. So, uh, all right, I'm done with Charlie Kirk, uh, <laughs> as you were. It's easy to dismiss him. Let's have a harder conversation. Sure, so, I see Bernie on your shirt. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, feel the burn, uh, unicorn uh, over a rainbow. Uh, of course, that's how you libs roll. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, Kyle is the host of Secular Talk and, and one of the co founders of Just Democrats, uh, along with myself. So, um, we agree on many, many things, but you are far more certain that Bernie is a better candidate than Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Go. Okay, well, there's a few reasons why. First, let's go to the strategy, outside inside game. Bernie has said, and he said it to me when I was interviewing him, listen, man, if I become president, the work is not done, it's just beginning, and I want people in the streets helping to fight to get our goals implemented. And he says he will go to West Virginia and directly call out Joe Manchin and say, listen, you're gonna fall in line and you're gonna do the thing that people want you to do. You're gonna be for Medicare for all. And I will support a primary challenger to your left if you don't do that. Elizabeth Warren sitting in this exact same seat said the opposite. She said, allow me to make a spirited defense of Joe Manchin. So that's one thing right there, which I think says everything about the likelihood of actually getting our policies implemented if Bernie becomes president versus if Warren does. And then the other really important thing is foreign policy. I mean. Virtually everything I've seen from Warren on foreign policy tells me that she's a relatively standard Democrat on that front. Now, it's not to take anything away from her on Wall Street policy or trade policy, because I think she's much better than the standard Democrats on that. But when it comes to foreign policy, you have, you know, Bernie is really outflanking everybody to the left on that issue. And, you know, just to give one example, um, Elizabeth Warren's comments on the Iran deal, she has said pretty clearly she thinks that Iran violated the deal when, of course, we pulled out of it and then chastised them for not following it after we pulled out of it. So being that, you know, being the commander in chief is probably the area where the president has the most control, 
you know, you can get the most done there, and that happens to be the area where I have my biggest disagreements with her. Yeah, so as usual, excellent points. Uh, and I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. I wanna push back on the strategy just a little bit. So the foreign policy is an issue. Uh, Bernie Sanders today, um, or very recently talked to J Street and said, why do we have no conditions on the $3.8 billion that we give to Israel? Uh, why don't we ask them to do things that uh, are productive and help US national interests as opposed to opposing national US national interests? Uh, and I don't know that Elizabeth Warren would go that far to say the least. Uh, so so I, I, so far in what we know, and they've almost not discussed foreign policy at all in any of the debates. So Warren has not been asked about Israel. Warren has not been asked about the military industrial complex. It's not been asked about a giant swaths of foreign policy, right? So I hear you on all that and I'm looking forward to our answers when she is eventually asked, okay? Uh, on the strategy part, I also wanna get back to um, how Warren is actually a progressive and I wanna see if you dis disagree with that at all. But on the strategy part that you brought up, if you were, if I was sure that you were right about that, uh, then, then that would be determinative for me. The only difference between you and me on that is that I'm not positive. So the counter argument that good, great progressives make to me behind the scenes, okay, is Elizabeth Warren knows how to get things done and has gotten them done. She has a different theory of change, but it's an incredibly effective one. So she got the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau passed when she wasn't even a senator, when the Republicans hated it and the Obama administration didn't want it either. I literally don't know how she pulled off that miracle, but that's pretty solid evidence that her strategic thinking actually does lead to wins on the board and very large ones. So what do you think about that? Well, I mean, my only response to that would be, it goes right back to the Joe Manchin point. You have to, in order to win these battles, we have to know who we're battling. It's obvious that we're battling the establishment Republicans because we're always battling the establishment Republicans. But the, the you know, open secret in Washington, D.C. that you know very well and I know very well is that you're also gonna have to fight half the Democratic Party. I 100%. Mean, you're the one yeah. who interviewed Tim Ryan and you asked Tim Ryan, oh, if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren is president, we try to get Medicare for all, would you be in favor of it? And he said no. And then you told everybody, and you're right, by the way, hey, Tim, you signed up for the bill. You mm -hmm. put your name down for the bill. So we have to take on at least half the Democratic Party. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in they're not gonna do it unless you force them to do it. And in order to force them to do it, you need to harness the will of the people. Now, what you said about Elizabeth Warren, even if I grant you that it's true, the way that she well, tries it's to definitely about, true. Well, to get the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, it's true. But how are you gonna convince half the Democratic Party or more by only using positive means behind the scenes? But no, no, no. So those progressives also say what you guys don't see, and that's why I continue to have an open mind, is that she doesn't just use positive means, that she uses public pressure. Uh, and, and so that if she only used positive means with Obama and Geithner and Summers, there's no way we would have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. But it's not, so it's not no, positive. She put, she put a lot of pressure on them. That's fair, but it's not positive when she says, allow me to make a spirited defense of Joe Manchin. That means I'm not going to go to you know, West Virginia and do a rally against him. That means I will try to close the door and work, and work behind closed doors in order to get him to do the right thing, so I, but I don't I, think that'll work. I don't think that'll work. Yeah, so I, I agree with you, Kyle. I don't think that'll work. If that's still her position, that 
it would be deeply problematic and perhaps dispositive. Now that was a while back, mm -hmm. right? That was what, three years ago or so that she said that? And you can say hey, three years ain't that much and Bernie's been consistent and those are all good points, right? Uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, folks that have worked with her behind the scenes say that she uh, does a great job of pressuring Democrats. Here, I'll give you another instance uh, where she was perfectly willing to defy the Democratic Party. Uh, all the banking hearings. Now you might say, hey, look, that's her bailiwick, and I know she's great on banking, and I, you obviously acknowledge that, right? But the part you don't see, and that I have heard behind the scenes, is the rest of the Democratic senators, when she first went off on the bankers, were furious at her, and she knew that they would be furious at her. And they try to apply a world of pressure afterwards. You have got to lay off of those guys, otherwise, how are we gonna win elections? She said, that's like your opinion, man. And I'm not gonna listen to you. And she went back in and kicked their ass again and again and again. So even if I grant you all that. Which is true. Well, then we get to the <laughs> point that I just simply don't agree with her priorities as much as I agree with Bernie's priorities. I know you and Anna had a debate on the show a week or so ago where you were getting into the issue of Medicare for all and does she really believe it and will she fight for it and all that stuff. And the bottom line is when you look at Bernie's record and you look at her record, even if I say, okay, maybe she believes in it now, and that is a maybe, there are contradictory statements like crazy. Whereas with Bernie, there's none. It's the same thing for decades. So, that so that's was a big a, thing to me because that's on the top of my list, Jank. No, Medicare no, that's an easy one, Kyle, because she's gonna release her plan imminently. And when she does, you and I will look at it, we'll know for sure if it's Medicare for all. That's true, but again, if it was something that you really deeply believed in and it's on the top of your priorities list and you're gonna fight for it, I don't think we would have had to wait until this point in the election. Oh, I'll do a counterargument on that. Okay, Bernie on money and politics, number one issue, okay? And it took till what? Like nine, 10 months into the campaign for him to release his plan? Okay, that's a fair point. So your number one issue, you would say, is, is money and politics. And well, I and I well think you're probably gonna agree with me that that's not my number one issue. It is logically the number one issue for progressives it's and for the whole country. Certainly one of the top ones, I'll grant you that for sure. Um, but because we line, can't pass just, Medicare for all. I mean, Kyle, how are we gonna get all those half the Democratic Party, and by the way, I think it's more than half, uh, that are gonna sell us out on Medicare for all, that are gonna sell us out on Green New Deal. Uh, I agree with you, we're not gonna mm -hmm. do it with pretty please. Well, we're gonna do it with pressure internally and externally. Uh, but if we don't take the money away, they're gonna vote for, against us for eternity on every priority. Yes and no. The no part is you could also get it done with a general strike. And that's kind of what Bernie's calling for when he says, I need you to get in the streets when I get elected. Mm -hmm. And I think the likelihood of Bernie Sanders doing an address from his Oval Office, looking in the camera and saying, I need all of the American people to march on Washington today because we're gonna do the new civil rights movement. And what we're gonna fight for uh, is the new economic bill of rights, Medicare for all, free college, living wage. We're gonna end the wars, we're gonna yeah. do a Green New Deal, we're gonna get money out of politics. I think the likelihood that Bernie will look in the camera and deliver that from the Oval Office is over 85%. And I think the chances of Elizabeth Warren doing, doing it is probably about 5%. So look, uh, people in the streets, I love it. Uh, but it actually somewhat misunderstands the politics. Because you could have a billion people in Joe Manchin's street and he's not gonna give a damn. All he cares about is the money. Okay. So that's why you need the president to support a primary to his left, as Bernie I said he totally would. I totally agree with right, that. Of course. But on the other hand, Kyle, it's it took Bernie what I think the first time he said it was an interview with me in LA a couple of months ago. It took him all this time. He's fantastic on every issue, right? 
But it took him all this time to finally say things like, I will take on other Democrats. Until then, have you ever heard Bernie say an unkind word about Chuck Schumer? I've never heard it. Well, I mean, again, I think I've heard <laughs> I've heard Bernie be tougher on Democrats than I've heard Elizabeth Warren be tougher on Democrats. And but you will concede that that has only happened really in the last couple of months. In the last election when Bernie was asked in a debate, do you think that Hillary Clinton changed any of her votes because of the money she got? And she, he said no. That's crazy. Of course well, she did. And he's too polite. He's historically he has been far far too polite. Well, this is where we come to our total agreement, which is that, you know, we like the acknowledgement that there actually is a battle going on for the soul of the Democratic Party. And if you acknowledge that, that means you could actually fight for your side in that battle. And our side is we want real change. We want the populist left. We want social democracy. We want people who are anti-establishment. We want people who are uncorrupted. So that's where we totally agree on that front. Um, but yes, I would like to see that from all the candidates if they're serious about change, to acknowledge that there is a battle going on for the soul of the Democratic Party so that we can win that battle. Unfortunately, what you have is too often the establishment side of that battle acknowledges that there's a battle and they fight it. And the left side is actually very nice. And they're like trying to go along to get along and trying to you know, believe in unity. Yeah, and Bernie's gotten much better in the last couple of months, to be fair to Bernie. Okay, and, and so last thing, at least do uh, you acknowledge that uh, Elizabeth Warren is a real progressive. You might have a different theory of change than she does, and you might have issues with some of her foreign policy, etc. But it would be wildly unfair to say that she's not a real progressive. So uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, she is on the issues where she is: Wall Street, trade, tax policy. And obviously, if it came to a general election, I would have zero problem voting for Elizabeth Warren and arguing for Elizabeth Warren. Um, but she's not as progressive as Bernie Sanders. And I think there are areas where genuine progressives would say, hey man, she's totally out to lunch on this issue. She's totally out to lunch on that issue. Whether it's Israel Palestine, yeah. uh, whether it's Iran. Obviously, yeah, obviously I care deeply, deeply about Israel, Palestine and Iran. And, and I, I think she needs to clarify her positions. And if her positions are those positions, I don't agree. But that doesn't mean she's not a progressive. That's fair, but you know, I would just caution, not just for you, but for everybody engaged in this stuff. I'm tired of the discussions and the debates about labels. Like I've heard it a thousand times. We're not Dave Rubin where we should go on camera every day and be like, I'm a classical liberal. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you think you are. Who cares? Tell me what you're actually for. Give me your policy positions and we'll talk about that and flesh that out. So yes, you have a point. I would just say everybody should kind of avoid the discussion about labels because it doesn't help us. And also an interesting little fact that you're probably the only other person in the country who knows this. In 2016, Bernie Sanders actually won in the primary among self-described conservative Democrats. How is that possible? Well, the answer is very simple. People don't know about labels. Yes. They could be conservative Democrats, maybe they're not and they just think they are. But either way, they hear that guy talk and they go, I like that guy. So we, let's not get wrapped up in labels is my point. Yes, unsurprisingly, we end on a complete agreement. Literally earlier in the show today on the Young Turks, I said these labels don't mean a goddamn thing. Okay, right, so yeah. there you go. All right, Kyle Driver Kalinsky. Thanks, man. everybody. Check out Secular Talk, part of the TYT Appreciate Network. Uh, and by the way, uh, we are going to come back with Kyle and Anna, all-star post game for you guys. And we're going to dunk on Dave Rubin, show more of his <laughs> clips from Tucker Carlson, and a clip of me and Nina Turner interviewed that one of you guys remakes. Apparently, it's fantastic. So. If ever there was a day to be a member, today is it, tyt.com slash join. If you're on YouTube, there's a little join button there. Our YouTube membership is also great. There's different levels to it. We hope you participate. 
We'll see you in just a couple of minutes if you're a member. We'll see you there live.